If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. So great to have the choir back after a long time off. It's good to see uh, the different age groups and different things up there. And uh, of course, that's something that we've been praying about for some time, that God would uh, uh, bring us all together, all generations represented. And that's the way we feel like God will honor us as we move forward as a church family. Um, Some of you have asked, you know, why are you wearing a tie today? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I, I, I like to be transparent with you. Uh, I, I'm wearing a tie uh, because when I ironed a shirt the other day, uh, I thought it was going to be okay, and I put it on this morning, and the buttons are pulling pretty bad. And so uh, I didn't want to iron another shirt, to be honest with you. So anyway, that's why you had the tie on today. But anyway, <laughs> too much information, right? We as a culture seem to be content not knowing certain things, about how to set the clock on the microwave. How many of you have a blinking 12 on your microwave right now? Anyone? Okay, praise God. That's good stuff. Um, isn't it amazing how we'll keep it that way and never, it will never be any service to us. We just kind of go with the flow. Some of us went about knowing certain things about the features on the TV that we probably spent at least $1,000 on or the features on the new car. It's amazing how we'll buy these things and we'll have them there. We don't read the instructions. We don't really understand what's there. And we just kind of go with the flow and some very things that we purchase we don't even use. How about reading the details on a contract? How many of you see where it says check here to agree and then you just kind of, you don't read anything, you just check it and move on? You've been there? Yeah, we all do stuff like this. How, how about the political process? Does anybody really know what that is all about? How many of you care right now? I mean, it's like we don't, we don't get to that point where we really know what we're talking about or what's happened. Best ways to raise our children. And even as we're going to look at today, how about the salvation provided for us? Have we ever read the fine print on what that salvation is really all about? Look at the introduction there on your outline. In this passage today, Paul describes in specific terms the meaning of salvation. This passage has been termed the very heart of all Scripture. Some have said it's the most important paragraph in the Bible. Every single phrase in the first paragraph there has significant meaning. Matter of fact, if you fail to understand it, then you will not understand your salvation. That what we're seeing here is really, when you look at it, is the fine print of what salvation is all about. I want you to look at the first word there in Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 21. Now, he says this. He says, but, but. He's just given us three chapters full of information. When when the the author uses but in Scripture, it means the author is going to give you a new thought. Paul has been writing for all three chapters, building a case, you've been here, you know, against our guilt and our sin. He talked about the rebellious and how they're content just to live in open rebellion in their sin. He talked about the respectable and how there are those out there who basically carry the idea that, well, I think I'm good enough to get to heaven. I'm good enough to be accepted. And then, of course, we looked at the religious who basically said, well, I tell you, I'm there every time the church doors open. I've kept every kind of ritual there is. I'm all about it. But now in chapter 3, verse 21... Paul writes, but now. Now, his summation, summation of what's just taken place, the rebellious, the respectable, and the religious, he said, you're all guilty. You're all in the same boat. 
But then he says in verse 21, but now. It literally is a contrast of points is about to be introduced. Or a change of conversation is about to be introduced. The conversation changes from our guilt and sin to God's grace and the salvation that he provides. Matter of fact, if you were to really say, okay, what is, what is Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 31? What, what is it really all about? You could really go all the way back to the Old Testament to a question that Job asked. You remember what Job asked? He says, how can a man be right before God? And what was interesting about Job is when he wrote this, he was, he was speaking out of his frustration. He was speaking out, and we know the story of Job. We know all the hardships he faced, and we knew all that. And so finally, he, he gets to that point, and we've all been there. Well, what does it take to be accepted by God? Paul was now going to give answer to that over these next several chapters of Romans. But today, what I want us to do is look at these 10 verses. And in these 10 verses, we see the descriptions of salvation. So look on your outline, descriptions of salvation. There are three words in this section you cannot miss. They describe the three miracles that God does in you and for you when you are saved. These words are all referred to in verse 24. It's almost like verse 24. Look there if you will. He says, verse 24, being justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what are the three words that we see here that are spelled out? Well, first of all, there's a word we've been using for several weeks now. It's the word justification. The word justification is a courtroom term. It's the whole idea that, that something that was not acceptable has now been made acceptable. Justification. And then you have the word redemption. It's a slave market term. It's the whole idea of purchase. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. And then there's the word atonement. It's a ransom term. These three key words all describe what God has done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. I want you to look at the picture here on this next picture here. How many of you have ever seen something like that? You know, you've heard the term turtle on a fence post. If you see a turtle on a fence post, what must you assume? Someone put him there. There's absolutely no way that turtle can sit on top of that fence post. Did you know what we're studying here today is, is summed up in that picture? There is no way that turtle can be on the fence post unless someone put him there. There is no way that we can have the salvation that God provides unless he gives it to us. Unless he gives it to us. There's nothing we could do to do that. Just like the turtle can't get there on his own. Next, we see the details of salvation. Paul gives nine details about our salvation. And the first one here is salvation is designed by God. It's designed by God. So look at verse 21. It says, but now, here it is, the righteousness of God. Before he talked about the unrighteousness of man and, and how terrible it is and where it leads and what it's going to do to man. Uh, and then he changes. He says, but now let's talk about the righteousness of God. But really there's, a, there's something behind that phrase. Salvation, he's saying salvation was created and designed by God. Man, or we didn't think it up. We, we didn't take the initiative. If we did think it up, it would look like any other salvation of any other religion. I want you to think about this. Any other religion, if you really break it down, how is salvation attained? How, how are we accepted by the creator? It's always, and you'll find it everywhere in other religions, it's always works-based theology or works-based salvation. 
It's always that. If man created this whole idea of Christianity, guess what? It wouldn't look like the way Christ did it for us. It would all be works-based. Next, and we see this, I'm kind of led into it. Salvation is unearned. It's unearned. In Romans chapter 3, look at verse 21, the second part, it says, apart from the law. It's apart from the law. Now, up to verse 20, it says, no one will be righteous in God's sight by keeping and observing the law. Basically, it's the idea you don't get to heaven by works, by trying to earn it, by keeping the Ten Commandments. You're not saved by earning it or by working for it. Paul says keeping the law is not going to get you to heaven. It is apart from the law, meaning that salvation is unearned. It also carries the idea that it costs too much to pay for in the first place. How many of you have ever seen these TV shows? Uh, you remember, I think the first show it was like this was Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous. You remember they had the British guy talk, talking, you know, how, well, you know, I won't bore you with that. But anyway, they have several shows now like that. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll let you behind the gates of the rich or something like that. And you'll, you'll, you'll look at it and you're sitting there like, how in the world does anybody have money like this? How many of you ever thought that? They must have stolen it. Somebody's doing some terrible... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but we do. And it's, it's amazing how we look at all that. And we know that... I was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about the worth of someone. They were telling me about a house that they saw and, and all the different things there. And, and the, he basically said, you know, I could live 100 lifetimes and never afford what they have. He talked about how discouraging that was. Listen, when it comes to salvation, it's too, we can't pay for it. We cannot pay for our salvation. Put it this way. If God said, okay, here's the terms of salvation. I'm going to provide it for you, but you've got to pay for it. We would be doomed. We would be doomed. It's what Christ has done for us. Now, as I said earlier, let's compare Christianity to all other religions. Have you ever heard the phrase something like this? All religions are all on the same path heading toward the same place. It, it, it may be different paths, but guess what? They say it's headed to the same place. If you were to take every other world religion, basically, and, and you were to apply that thought to it, you could, you could probably say, yeah, that makes sense. But you cannot put Christianity in that category. You can't do it because it's not works-based. Every other religion is going on a different path. Listen, this could not be said of Christianity because it is grace-based, not works-based. Next, salvation is unhidden. It's unhidden. Romans 3, the last part of verse 21, it says, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You see, salvation is unhidden. It's not a secret. It's not something Paul thought of here in the book of Romans when he wrote this letter. It's not a new message. It wasn't even in the first century. People had been saved throughout all history before Christ came. It had always been known by the law and the prophets. And by the way, anytime you see the reference to the law and the prophets, you know what you can assume? The, what the Old Testament is trying to say. The complete message of the Old Testament. That's what it's in reference to. So it's always been made known by the whole Old Testament because the Old Testament revealed that there is salvation. All are saved by grace through faith. If you were to go study Hebrews chapter 11, you know what Hebrews chapter 11 is? It's about all those in the Old Testament. And it talks about all the things that they did. But you know what the bottom line was? It says they all came by way of faith. 
They all came by way of faith, not of works. Noah, Abraham, Moses, all came by way of faith. Next, salvation is through faith. Romans 3, look at verse 22. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at this passage and look at how many times the word faith is used, you realize that the whole Christian life can be summed up in one word. What is it? Faith. Faith. All the other religions of the world have the idea of do. While the Christian faith says believe, accept, have faith. Have you ever asked someone, are you a Christian? Isn't it amazing what kind of responses you get when you ask that question? It's amazing. Of course, we kind of live in a culture now where it's not even safe to ask that question, is it? Or it doesn't feel safe. But if you were to ask a question, I know many times I've asked that of people. And some people, I thought I knew their testimony. And I'll say, are you a Christian? And here's what you hear sometimes. Well, I sure am trying. I'm trying. Let me tell you about someone who, who uses a phrase like that. They've never read the fine print of what salvation really offers. That, that's the person that says that. They don't understand salvation. Well, I'm trying. Wrong answer. You either are or you're not. It, it's not a matter of trying to be a Christian. It's a matter of trusting. It's a matter of faith. You see, there are two mistakes people make when it comes to faith in Christ. They say, and I've heard people say this, well, I guess I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith. Did you realize this? This may throw you off a little bit, but it does not matter how much or how little you have faith. It's, it's not the amount. It is the object that you put your faith in. The Bible says if you have the faith of a what? Mustard seed. You can barely, have you ever seen a mustard seed? Put it on the end of your finger. You barely see it. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So it's not the size of your faith. It's the size of the faith that that's, of the object is directed towards. The second mistake when it comes to faith is putting faith in faith. You ever heard people, many think that their faith in their faith is going to get them to heaven. <laughs> uh, listen, your faith is only as good as the object you put in it. It's about Christ. It's faith in Christ. It's not faith in your faith. I hear sometimes, I'll hear people say something like, well, well, we prayed about it, and, and if it didn't happen, there's a good chance, what? You didn't have enough faith. You see, faith is not measured. It's, it's not the, the amounts. It's, it's in the who is it in. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Just as that's where our salvation is based on. It's not faith in faith. Next, salvation is available to all. Look at verse 22. If you look at the second part, it says, To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Now, belief is the foundation of faith. It's not believe and work real hard. Let me give you an example that's kind of humorous. But can you imagine, let's say you're going to take an elevator up to the 20th floor of the building. You get on the elevator, you go up three floors, and then you get off, climb the stairs for three floors, then you get back on the elevator, go up another three floors, then you get off and climb the next three stairs, and as you make your way, you're carried, but then you get off and you, you, you feel like you got to contribute, I guess. 
That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Many people think that salvation works this way. Trust in Christ and then work real hard. Trust for a while, then work. Once you get on the elevator, however, as it pertains to salvation, you stay on it and trust it to get you all the way to the top. It's not based on that. Next, salvation is necessary. Do you realize it? Let me say this. Salvation is your only hope. It's your only hope. That's the reason we've been entrusted the word of God, the gospel of, of God, to carry it to the world. It's their only hope. Let me tell you where a lot of Christians are right now when it comes to the political, political processes we're looking at right now. I mean, the news we've heard over the last several days has been it's like horrifying. It's like, where does this come from? How is this even happening? And we as, as Christians, you, you know what we're doing? We're, we're wringing our hands wondering, where, where does the hope come from? Listen, the hope's never come even in the best president. The true hope doesn't come in the best president you could ever imagine. It doesn't come in that. Man is a flawed human being. Man will always be flawed. Some worse than others, it appears. But we're all flawed. But here's what's interesting about that whole idea. Hope, listen, when you look at hope in its context, hope is always directed towards eternity. And hope is not, well, I hope it's out there. Hope is the full evidence that it is out there, that you're moving in that direction, building your life upon something. Because hope is something that is built and it's something that is given. Salvation is our only hope. How do we know that? Here's why. Romans 3, 23. Paul's going back and he's basically finalizing what he said in the first three chapters. Here's what he says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I want you to, I want, let's do a little word study here. The two verbs in this verse, and, and they are, they're in two different tenses. In the Greek language, now this may throw you off a little bit. In the Greek language, there are nine different tenses. The English language, we know of what? Three. Past, present, and future, right? But if you were to go back to the Greek language, there are literally nine different tenses. The Greek language is the most technical and the most precise language of all languages. While the Greeks, with the Greek having nine different tenses, it, sometimes it makes it difficult to understand the exact meaning. Now, it, it doesn't make it difficult when you leave it in the Greek because it's clearly put the way it needs to be clearly put. But when you take a language that has nine verb tenses and you try to bring it into the English, English language that really only has three, guess what? You could lose some meaning there. And so it's important to study. The word studies are very important when it comes to Scripture. In this one verse, there are two different verb tenses. The first one says, all have sinned. If you go to a study on this, it's in what is called the aorist tense. It simply means something that was done in the past and continues into the present. Now, what, what happened in the past when it came to our sin? We were born in it. Okay? So you go all the way back, and the fact that we were born in it, it literally, you carried even further back to Adam. What does the Bible say about Adam? He sinned. And guess what? It was passed down to us. So therefore, from our beginning, when we were born, we were born in sin. It, it basically describes our condition. But then the way this is written, all have sinned. It's not just talking about your condition back here. It's something that continues today. 
The evidence of that condition continues today. Again, I say this a lot, but it's a perfect illustration. Uh, Our children, I mean, we don't like to hear this, but they sure reveal it, don't they? They were born in sin. Our children were born in sin. Again, how long did it take you to realize that? Couple minutes once getting them at home, maybe, maybe before you leave leave the hospital. <laughs> but they're born in sin, and that continues. It continues. Now, all have sinned. Now, listen to this. It is an established fact that refers to a condition. But then it says and falls short. This is in the present tense, which which means continual ongoing, literally continually falling short. How many of you live long enough to know that your life does that? Continues to fall short. It is a continuous action that does not quit. Both of these words in the Greek are used for athletics. The phrase used, all have sinned, is literally an archery term. When you shoot an arrow and miss the bullseye and your arrow falls short, you would say, it has sinned. Look at the picture here. How many of you have ever seen that, that, that whole idea? You know what's interesting? The reason I chose that picture is because, guess what? None of them even hit the target, never mind the bullseye. Do you realize that's a picture of our life? That's the picture of our life. But you know what the Scripture says? But now, but now, there's something else that comes with that. But now. So it's an archery turn. So, so now, the arrow f- fell short, missed the mark. This is what the verse is saying. All have missed the mark of God's standard. Then the phrase that says, all have fallen short, is an athletic term that literally means to fall behind in a race. So look at this picture here. You ever been there? I've never been out front. I, I don't know anything about that. I've, I'm the rascal in the back by there about the white car probably. But anyway... We all fall behind in this race called life. And the Bible says all of us has done that. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, I'm better than so-and-so? They think God is going to grant salvation to those who will win the race. Did you know out of this group of people, someone is going to win the race? Someone's going to win the race. But the terminology that's written here is that really none of us will ever win the race. But there was one who did win the race. That's the but now. He was Christ. He not only won the race. Listen, when he shot the arrow of his life and what his life composed of, guess what he hit? The perfect bullseye. The perfect bullseye. And that's the language of our salvation. Now, the bottom line, all have sinned, none have measured up. Paul's attempting to show how bleak our condition is while at the same time show how great God's salvation is. And so he's trying to draw contrast. He's he's basically trying to get you to understand, are you aware of what he has provided for you? This is where you were. This is what he's providing. Isn't it amazing how people have grown to hate that message? You know why? Because they never want to see themselves in their bleak condition. That's the only way you know what Christ has done on your behalf is to understand your condition before he came into your life. 
Next, we see that salvation is undeserved. In Romans 3, look at verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This verse is one of the most significant verses in the whole Bible. Look at what it says. Being justified freely by His grace. The word freely literally means without a cause. Justified is a legal term, a term used in the courtroom as we said earlier. It literally means to declare not guilty, to be acquitted, to to make right. It is the legal act of God declaring guilty people guiltless. It changes our standing before God. We need to be justified because we've fallen short and we ourselves cannot correct nor restore our condition. There's absolutely nothing we can do about it. But he provided. We are justified in three ways. This is not on your outline, but listen to this. We're justified three ways. By his charity. By his charity. The word grace is the same word in which we get the word charity. And so it was through his charity, by his blood, according to scripture, and by faith. That's how we're justified. He reached out with his charity. He reached out with his blood. And by faith, we embrace that. Now think of this. Justification is forgiveness plus righteousness. So so here's what you need to understand about this phrase. Justification is this whole idea that we were not righteous, but we were made righteous. It wasn't all of a sudden something was turned and all of a sudden we became perfect. We're only perfect because Christ is perfect. That was given to us. We We were declared what was rightfully his description. But we were declared that. And it's not only forgiveness, we get righteousness. The word says we are justified by grace. A paraphrase of this, we are made right because of his charity. The word justified, listen, is in the passive tense, which means it is something that is done for us. It's not something we are out doing. Passive tense means this happened, but it was done upon us. It was given to us or for us. He declares us innocent, not guilty. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We definitely don't deserve it. Next, salvation is through the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Look at uh, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 25. It says, whom, of course that's reference to Jesus, whom God has set forth. You see, it does not come to us through a religion through some ritual, even baptism. It does not come through principles, a bunch of do's or don'ts. It does not come through, it does, however, come through the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus' salvation is made possible because of the redemption of Jesus. There is more theology packed in these verses than any other place in the Bible. Now, what is redemption? Here it is. It means to release by paying a ransom. And that's what Jesus did on our behalf. Someone paying for someone else's freedom. Paul was saying that we are held hostage by the enemy and God sets us free through Jesus because he redeems us. He buys us back. Next, salvation. Salvation is a costly gift. Look at verse 25. It continues. It says, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Let me say this. We've already said it, but salvation is very expensive. How many of you know that salvation is free? Did you know that? But it's costly. It's not costly to us. We could never pay it. It is a gift, 
but someone had to pay for the gift. The payment for the gift was Jesus Christ giving his own life. The word propitiation, now we've looked at this before, simply means wrath is satisfied. That means God, because of our sin, because of our guilt, was going to pour out his wrath upon us because he must punish sin. But the Bible says, but now Jesus enters into the scene and he pays that for us. That's what propitiation means. It was placed upon him. Matter of fact, John the Baptist. Do you remember John the Baptist? He was the forerunner of Jesus. Here's what he said. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, here's what he said. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know what he could have been saying? The one who will satisfy God's wrath toward our sin and guilt. He's the one. He's the one. Now, we come to the results of salvation. And this is where we better understand that, I mean, th- this is a big deal here. Look here, the sins of yesterday. How many of you are thankful that your sins of yesterday have been forgiven if you know him? Oh, man, there's a pile back there, isn't it? The sins of yesterday, Romans 3, look at verse 25, the last part. Because in his forbearance, because of his patience, God has passed over uh, has had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now think of this. The Old Testament sacrifices, how many of you remember reading about them? The Old Testament animal sacrifices? Let me just say this. Never permanently saved anyone. They were, those sacrifices were pointing to the one who would permanently save them. It was pointing. Uh, they were just a symbol of what was going to happen many years later. When Jesus died, he reached all the way back, listen, to the sin and guilt of Adam and paid for every sin of those who would come to him by faith. Now, here's what you need to understand. Those who have never accepted the provision of Jesus Christ, listen, their sin is not forgiven. Not forgiven. You see, it does come with conditions. Everything that has been put forth has been put forth by Jesus Christ, but there are conditions with it. You've got to come to him the way he says you've got to come to him. And so we see not only that he takes care of the sins of yesterday, but look on your outline, the sins of today and tomorrow. Look at verse 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if you carry the principle of what's just been declared, if you, if you go forward with this, here's what that means. The cross covers the past, the present, and the future. He not only died for the sins we committed yesterday, the ones we commit today, he died for every sin we're going to do for the rest of our lives. How many of you find a lot of... Uh, Uh, a a lot of comfort in that. But you know something? Paul is describing how great the salvation is that God provides. But let me tell you what he's not doing. He's not giving us a license to go out and sin. You know, I've literally heard people say something like that. They don't say it. They they don't say it the way you say it, but they kind of say it. Well, I've been forgiven. All my sins have been forgiven. So does it really matter what I do? It does matter. Your sins may have been forgiven, but listen, when you experience Jesus Christ and the provision, listen, let me tell you what comes with meeting the provision. Repentance. You know what that means? Turning away from the old life 
and find a satisfaction in Him now and turning to Him. So what are the effects of salvation? Well, there's no reason for pride. Listen, if you could earn your salvation, then when we get to heaven, you know what you'd see a lot of people doing? Walking down the streets of go with her head held high saying, I made it. I did it. Here I am. Is that going to happen? No. No. Look at verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. And when it says the law of faith, used in this context, it means the means of faith. It's not talking about the law with the faith like it was used a while ago when it was talking about apart from the law. No, it means the means to the faith. Okay? So there's no one going to be walking around heaven saying, I made it. I did it. No one. Next, there's no reason for prejudice. Look at verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, that's the Jew, and the uncircumcised through faith, that's the Gentile. We're all included in this. It's amazing, I think, sometimes what we think, who we think will be in heaven. We think it's going to be Mostly Americans, uh, certain race. I mean, we go in all these different things, and it's just it's, it's stupidity. <laughs> it's offered to anyone who comes by faith. By faith. Next, there is no reason for presumption. Look at verse 31. He answers that question. Do we then make void the law through faith? I mean, does, is it, does the moral code of God and all those things, that we just throw all that? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We fulfill the law. Now, what does that mean? Listen to what Jesus said one day. They were asking him. They were threatening him, basically saying, okay, you've come here, and it appears you've broken all the law. What did Jesus tell them? I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. It's more than just keeping a list of do's and don'ts. It's more than this. Listen, when I showed up on the scene, there's no need for animal sacrifices anymore. There's no need for all these jubilees and all these different things. I am the fulfillment of all those things. Put your trust in me, not in these things. Put your trust in who I am and the provision that I make for you. But here's the whole thought of this. Here's, what's, here's what people are saying. If I am saved by grace, then who cares what I do? I'm just going to live it up. Once a person is saved by grace, then God's commands become, listen, a way to please him. It's a way we can please him. We're not working to salvation. We're working from salvation. We want to please him. We, we don't want to break the heart of God anymore. We want to come. That's our desire. Does that mean we're perfected? I have not been. Maybe you have, but I have not. But it's all about the provision of Jesus Christ. Look at the application. Have you trusted in God's plan of salvation? Have you trusted in that? Are you one of those that goes out and says, or thinks you'll be that person in heaven saying, I did it. I made it. I did this. I did that. How many of you uh, get suspicious of people who, whose constant conversation is I 
uh, uh. Did, did you know that one of the only conversations we have of the enemy in its entire entirety, do you know what he did the whole time? He talked about himself, what he was going to do, what he could provide. But you know what you find when it comes to those who faithfully serve the Lord and come to him through the provision of salvation through Jesus Christ? You hear the whole language changes. It's all about him. It's all about him. There's a language change. There's a, there's a, there's a whole different way of referring to ourselves. There's a whole different identity. And it comes by way of Jesus Christ. So, so here it is. Salvation is only realized and given when there's a decision to act. You know, I started with the whole idea of reading the fine print, the microwave that flashes 12, the agreement we just check off or click and we haven't read the fine print, and the car that has all these features that we haven't even taken the time to see what really it does. Let me just tell you this. When it comes to the fine print of salvation, we just read that. That's what you find there. And here's what we need to understand. It's okay to know what the fine print says, and that's a great thing, but it has to be taken a step further. There has to be a decision to act upon what's been shared. Has to be. Not just, oh yeah, I know the story. I know what Jesus did. His death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, you may know all that, but has there ever been a decision to act? How do you act on it? Repent. Turn from, turn from your sin. Turn from those things and turn to him. Uh, by, by believing by faith that he is who he says it is, he is. And most of us, many of us get to that point. We, we t- many times we're there before even there were repentance. But you ask a lot of people, who is Jesus? What did he do? Oh, Jesus, he, he, he did this, he did this, his death, burial, and resurrection. I know all that story. But did you act upon it? Well, <laughs> it's a decision to act. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that there's just so much at stake when it comes to to who you are. And Father, I'm afraid we live in a world that is paying a lot of lip service. We hear even politicians use your name to to get votes. We we hear people in our own community use your name to, to get business. We hear people all around us that use your name in a profane way. We use people, we, we, we see all this, Father, and, and, and it makes us stand there and just be appalled at what we're seeing, what we're noticing when there's nothing even similar to what we read here today. Father, help us to learn that it's all about the fine print. It's all learning about what this salvation really is all about. Father, I thank you for Jesus and the provision that he made on our behalf. And Father, if there's someone here today that does not know you as our Lord and Savior, I pray today will be the day they give their life to you. Father, we thank you for that provision through Jesus. But Lord, help us to know that it's more than just knowing about this. It's a decision to act. And I pray if there's someone here today that's never done that, today would be the day. Father, if there's someone here that believes this is their church home, you called them to be a part of, we welcome them also. But Father, we pray that you have your way. Lord, help us to never get tired of the gospel, to grow complacent of the gospel, but be people who are willing to share your gospel. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.